Welcome, everybody. Happy New Year. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Pastor Nick. Uh, it's really nice to have you here this afternoon at BCC. Uh, we're going to open uh, Janu- uh, January 2023, the first day of the year, with a consecration service. Uh, so we've had communion together, uh, we've praised God together, and we'll praise God again one more time at the end. Um, but we're going to just take in a, a little bit of Bible scripture and some pointers around what consecration means and what it looks like. I'm um, going to open with a story from my past uh, about my old, my very old and my, my, my very first car. Uh, now, my car, uh, the, the first car I ever had was a Citroen Diane uh, at, from 1978, I think it was. Um, registration number APN167T. And it was beige and it had white wheels and a white roof. And it's pretty rusty and it fulfilled all the criteria of a banger. It really, really did. I bought it for 500 quid off my mum and dad, and uh, it had a 0.6 liter engine. So if you, those of you who know about engine sizes will know that that's pretty gutless, um, uh, which was probably a good thing because I couldn't really be a racer boy in it. Um, it you know, I had to, basically, I couldn't accelerate super fast at all. It had a little two-cylinder engine, but it was also a good thing because it was quite economical. Uh, you know, you could fill it up and it would do you know, 55, 60 to the gallon, etc., etc. So it was a decent car for a first car. Now, I had a, a connection with a, a mechanic, a guy called Hugh. And uh, Hugh was a very patient man, and uh, he would tolerate my own attempts to fix my car. Uh, and so I would quite often try and service my car myself, and I would change the oil, and I would do various bits and pieces. But when I ran out of wisdom or skill or patience, I would take whatever state it was in, provided I could get it there, I would take it to Hugh and say, Hugh, would you please give it a service, and would you help me out? And he was very patient, and I think he raised his eyebrows a few times over the years at some of the terrible things I tried to do to my own car. Um, but one particular occasion, I had a a strange symptom in my car where I was driving along and I was pressing the accelerator and it would would accelerate and drive and then suddenly it would cut out. So I would, you know, be driving along uh, and then then there'd be no power suddenly. Uh, And then it would suddenly pick up again. It was very alarming because you never knew when it was going to happen. And, you know, uh, just as much as you need brakes in a car, you also need to know that when you're about to turn out of a junction across a busy road, that the, the, it is actually going to accelerate because you're going to be left hanging across a dual carriageway junction and people coming. It was a very unnerving experience. So I went to see Hugh and I said, Hugh, I've got this really strange problem with my car. It won't accelerate properly. And he said to me, I think what needs to happen is it needs to have a a bit of a clean out in the carburetor. Now, the carburetor is like a kind of a, it's like a sort of, like the sort of size of a kind of Marmite pot, I guess. Uh, And in more old fashioned cars, it was used to be the device that would mix the petrol and the air inside your engine in order for it to run. You don't just have kind of neat petrol going in. It has to be mixed with air into a vapor and then squirted into the engine. And the carburetor would do that job. Engines these days have a thing called inject injection, so it's very different. But uh, back in the day, it was a, so there was a carburetor, and this thing had flaps and pipes and kind of bits and pieces on it. And he show, he, he showed me on the car where it was, and he showed me how I could accelerate the car just by, obviously with it out of gear, just by standing and pulling some cables with the hood up, you know, with the with the bonnet up, which was a lot of fun. I've got to say, you need to be able to rev your car with not being in it. Uh, that was great. I was going like this with the cable. Um, and he said, now, what you need to do, Nick, is you need to add this uh, special additive in the top of the carburetor with the air cover off. It's called Wins Carburetor Cleaner. And it came in a squirty can. 
And I'd, I'd poured it in there. And he said, now, when the first time you do this, it's going to clean out a lot of gunk on the inside of your engine, on the inside of your carburetor. And it's going to fix the problem of you not accelerating properly. So sure enough, we were out in his yard. He found a, a spare can of this Wins carburetor cleaner. And uh, he, uh, we opened up the bonnet. We opened up the air cover. We got the, the thing running. And it was like idling and then stopping, stopping sometimes. And he said, right, put a big squirt of that in there. So I did, and it was very exciting because a huge cloud of blue smoke came out of the back of the car, and there was a loud bang or two because it backfired a few times, and then it gradually settled down, and it started to run a whole lot better. And I was quite pleased. And then he said, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to do this a few times because you've got dirt in your fuel tank and inside your engine, and it's not running very well, and that's why you're not able to accelerate properly. And so he gave me a can of Wins carburetor cleaner, and I would squirt this in there quite often, and I would pull the little cable and accelerate my car without being inside it because I'm just like that. So that's how things were, okay? So uh, I can tell you're kind of enjoying this story, but you're not sure where it's going. So I'll, exp I'll explain where it's going, okay? The reason for the story is if we have impurities in our system, if we have uh, dirt in the fuel tank, as it were, or if we have carburetor that's not properly serviced, what happens is our ability to drive gets affected, doesn't it? You're not able to accelerate properly. Now, that is a very good illustration of something in the spiritual, which is if we've got gunk in our system, if we've got kind of stuff that's floating around in our fuel tank, if we've got sort of a mess in the carburetor of our engine, then what happens is we slow down. We're not able to fire properly on all cylinders. We have cutouts now, I'm sure all of us in this room and online as well will identify with those seasons in our life where things don't quite accelerate along quite as they should. Anyone kind of found that? You know, you're not just motoring quite normally. It feels like you put your foot on the accelerator and nothing's happening, or there's no energy there, or you feel like you're stalling a lot. Well, consecration is a bit like putting a whole lot of Wins carburetor cleaner on the inside of your spirit and cleaning you out so that you are then able to drive smoothly uh, and effectively. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to just take you through what I think consecration means and looks like. And then we're going to just do a quick kind of watercolor sketch through that passage that Ruby read for us from, uh, from Joshua chapter 3 and chapter 4. And just give you some pointers on what consecration looks like. Uh, you can follow along in this in the Version Bible app. Do jump in there. If you open up the Bible app and go to events, you'll find that Birmingham City Church is live and that the, the uh, verse references are there. And then there are seven little headings. Now, don't panic. I'm going to just be very brief on each of these seven points. I'm not going to labor this. But there's just like little touchstones for you to understand what consecration is all about. Let me explain what I think consecration is. Consecration is a fancy religious or spiritual word which basically is making people or things holy and available for use by God. Consecration is making people or things holy, and holy as in not W-H-O-L-L-Y, but H-O-L-Y, holy, holiness of God, and available for use by God. So in just the same way that I would squirt this Wins carburetor cleaner into my engine, and it would make it better for use of my car, and I would drive better. Consecration is a process in which you make yourself holy on the inside intentionally so that you are available for use by God. That's what consecration means. And it's a great 
way to open a new year, you know, like a new year, is to talk about consecration and to kind of think about it and to follow it. Let me suggest some things to you, and I've put some notes in there for you in your U version. What I think consecration means it's preparing, fasting, cleaning, forgiving, abstaining, renewing, and giving. And let me just tell you what each of those might mean, just briefly. Consecration means preparing ourselves in mind and heart for an encounter with God in which he's going to act in some way. It's like saying, yeah, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm expecting you to move, Lord God. Uh, fasting is withholding from something that we otherwise hold dear, such as food or perhaps sexual relations with our husband or our wife um, or, or something similar, uh, and setting aside the time that we've gained from not doing those things to petition God to move. So we're putting aside some things that we are, not, are part of our normal routine uh, that we perhaps enjoy or like and saying, no, I'm putting those to one side and I'm praying instead. That's what fasting is. Cleaning, cleaning up our household, uh, our workplace or our church. And that's both physical and spiritual, actually. It's not just a, a spiritual thing or kind of like a, an, an idea. Like if you were to do a consecration around your house, you'd probably do like a full hoover and a deep clean and perhaps some painting and some decorating. And you might do that in your workplace. You might do it in church just to get things really, really ready. So it includes cleaning. Uh, cleaning sorry, Forgiving. Forgiving others so that there's nothing bitter on the inside of us. You know, I spent a long time wondering. There's lots of good reasons why this is the case. But I spent a long time wondering why it is that Jesus and Stephen, that first martyr, forgave those people like they did just before they died. If you think about that, that's a really kind of odd thing to do because there's kind of no gain for you in it. It's not like those people are going to then be kind of reconnecting with you. Like in certainly, well, with Jesus, it's a bit different because Jesus comes back. But with Stephen, he doesn't. He just forgives them, and then he goes to heaven. And it's got me thinking that forgiving is something that is so much about us. It's, it's, it's very helpful when other people feel released from our, in, in our forgiveness, but it's so much about us not being full of bitterness. And I think what Stephen was onto and, and modeled by Jesus was that he didn't want to enter heaven with anything on the inside of him that was bitter, anything that was holding him back from a clear relationship with his father in heaven, both for Stephen and for Jesus. So forgiveness is a really key part of consecration. Um, abstaining from sin, of course, uh, and from you know, thinking, saying, or doing things that might put up a barrier between us and God uh, and laying those things down. Um, renewing promises and vows that we've made to God. Perhaps we've made some promises and vows to God a long time ago, and then they've kind of fallen into disuse. Maybe it's time to put them back on the agenda again. Um, I, I, I kind of put some uh, part of my fitness routine back on the agenda two or three days ago after a four-month period of non-use, shall we say. Uh, so my, my, fitness, my fitness routine includes some running and it includes some weights when it's operating on all cylinders. Um, and so I managed to keep up with the running, but the weights had kind of died a bit. And uh, so two or three days ago, I kind of picked up those weights again and I forced myself through it. And then I think it was the day after that, I was like, oh, oh, you know how it is when you've just gone and done exercise for the first time after a long time. Um, so, but that's me picking up a promise to myself to keep fit and to keep ready and to keep useful to God in my physicality so that I'm available for his use. 
renewing promises and vows that we've made to God. And then last of all, giving our best financially uh, and our time and our talents back to God. Um, are we doing that? Uh, so, my, so, so my definition of uh, a consecration would include preparing, fasting, cleaning, forgiving, abstaining, renewing, giving, uh, and, and giving. Just a kind of little summary of what I think uh, consecration looks like, just to give you a practical heads up. And maybe today what you could do is don't get bamboozled or overloaded by all seven of those or however many there are. Pick one. Go for one and say, right, I'm going to work on some promises that I made to God five years ago and I've just forgotten those and I'm going to pick them up again. Uh, Go for one and really go for it. Let me just take you through some pointers that I notice from this passage from Joshua. Just a few minutes on this. Um, and they're there for you in your version Bible app. Number one, consecration is right for transition moments. I want you to spot the, it's kind of like the obvious, the elephant in the room thing about this story from Joshua, is you have a whole nation waiting to cross a physical boundary to get into the land that God has promised them. And that's a transition moment, isn't it? That's a major transition moment. Um, so it makes total sense to me to preach a message on New Year's Day about a transition moment from an old year into a new year. Uh, and that we should be consecrated and be preparing in our minds to be able to do that. It says Joshua 3.1, Joshua started early the next morning and left the Acacia Grove with all the Israelites. They went as far as the Jordan and stayed there before crossing. In other words, there's a massive transition moment for this nation. Um, number two, consecration is needed before a holy God. Consecration is something that's entirely appropriate and needed before a holy God. Um, and the verse that I notice here is it says that Rivi read out for us, Joshua 3.4, Keep a distance of about a thousand yards between yourself and the ark. That says to me, there's a respect needed for the holiness of God. There's something about the holiness of God. You don't just wander up to it and touch it. In fact, I think there's another story in the Old Testament where somebody does inadvertently do that. They're carrying the ark of God and they slip over and they kind of reach out and touch it. And God is pretty angry with that and with that person, and they die because of their casualness around His holiness. And so something I notice about consecration is a, a, a re-emphasis on the holiness of God and the reverence we should have for him as God Almighty, which, of course, we have to hold in tension with the fact that he is our loving Father as well, so that comes back to, to, to us, to, uh, you know, to, to our minds about who God is. Consecration is needed before a holy God because he is holy. Number three, consecration invites God to move. Whenever, I don't know about this, I don't know whether this is true for you, but whenever you've intentionally set out to seek God and have a season where you're really, really pressing into him, um, and you maybe have included some elements of consecration in there, making yourself holy, making yourself ready, setting yourself aside, um, you, you, you will then find that God is very predisposed to moving in response to that. Now, God is all-powerful, and God has his own agenda, and he does what he, what he wants to do. But there is no question that if we set ourselves out to, to, to consecrate ourselves, God sits up and he goes, ah, there's a person or there's a people who are wanting my attention and are wanting me to move. I absolutely believe that. I think if you set yourself aside and you make yourself holy and you get on your knees before God for a season and you chase after him and you say, God, I want you to move, 
God loves that. And he, and he does want to move. Uh, he, he wants to step into that space that you've created for him. Uh, I think that's absolutely true. It says Joshua 3, 5 there, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves because the Lord will do wonders among you tomorrow. He's setting up, he's setting them up to have an expectation that God is going to move uh, uh, in response to their consecration. Consecration is like an open invitation to God to come and move in your life. I highly recommend uh, that we take some time this week and over this month to prepare ourselves in those ways. Number four, this is the flip side to that. Consecration protects you from God's holiness. Um, If you just wander into the holiness of God with no preparation whatsoever, I think you're going to come a cropper. I think it's going to do things to you that you weren't expecting. You cannot expect that the fiery holiness of God to draw close to you And if you've done no preparation for that not to have an effect on you. So be careful. Uh, Be respectful. Um, uh, You know, I think the fact that God's holiness is drawing near to you is something we should treat very, very carefully and respectfully. If we don't, God's holiness itself might burn something up in us that we should have prepared by getting rid of or fixing. You know, God can't have anything near him that's not holy and not right. That's why he sent Jesus. But if we wander into that space without being ready or right or prepared, we need to kind of expect things will be potentially awkward for us. Now, I don't want to say that to tread on your toes or to make you feel uncomfortable, but I just want to remind us that God is holy and we can't just wander into his presence. We need to be ready and consecrated uh, for that time. Number five of seven, I'm just breezing through these um, and uh, just want to say, number five, consecration helps put you on dry ground in flood season. Let me say that to you again. Consecration helps put you on dry ground in flood season. What do I mean by that? Well, you'll notice that the uh, Israelites were taken across the River Jordan, uh, even though it was supposed to be in flood, all the water piled up at a town called Adam, which seems very appropriate to me, um, and the, the water stopped, and then they went through on dry ground. If you do consecration in your life, if you practice consecration on a regular basis, if you set aside time to draw close to God, then I think what happens is he allows you to move through what would would have otherwise been flood season in a much better state and condition than you otherwise would have done. Imagine that the people of Israel attempting to cross that river with no consecration or preparation at all, and the river just continuing to flow. Uh, my, my research into the, um, the Jordan River was that it was about 100 yards wide and at the different points 10 to 12 feet deep, and it was in flood season. That would have been very unwise to try and walk across that. You would have been swept away. So the lesson for us is if we're going through a really tough time in our lives, like where everything feels overwhelming or over our head, is that maybe a cue from God to get into the consecration closet and do some work of getting ourselves ready so that God can take us through in a, in a slightly better way? You know, there's been some seasons in my life where I felt swamped. I don't know about you, but I've, life is hard sometimes, isn't it? Life is tricky. Life is difficult. And and in those seasons, what you have to do is I think you have to say, no, God, I'm putting you first because then you go ahead of me and I think that you make the conditions better for me than they otherwise would have been. That's what I mean by that. So number five, consecration helps put you 
on dry ground in flood season. Number six, consecration works best in togetherness. Can I just give you an illustration of how I think unity works? You know when you uh, kind of see sunlight and it comes down from the sky through the clouds and it's kind of all the light rays are in parallel, aren't they? They're all kind of in lines like that together. Okay, and so they hit the earth and you have kind of an even spread of light. What, and, and that's fine, and that's how things should be. What I think unity is, is unity is like getting a magnifying glass and pulling all those light strands that are otherwise parallel and pulling them all into a center point. Do you get the illustration? So when you're out there with a, with a magnifying glass trying to fry an ant or a leaf or something, whatever it is you're doing with your magnifying glass in the sun, um, that's an illustration of the power of unity. You're pulling all those light rays in together from being in parallel to being into a point. And there's a fieriness and an intensity to that. And that's a great illustration of unity because uh, God is pulling us all together. Um, and so what I've noticed here, Joshua 4.1, uh, just at the beginning of the chapter 4 there, it says, after the entire nation had finished crossing the Jordan, everybody was in this together in an amazing way. There is great power in doing consecration altogether. And, and that's great that you guys are all here today for the New Year's service and, and also for you guys online. And I hope that folk that maybe can't see this now can catch up and pick up on this message. Um, the last thing I just want to say, uh, I'm just going to ask Kevin and Ure just to come back up and, and be with us and, and to start worshipping. Thank you so much. Um, is that consecration sets up future testimony. Consecration sets up future testimony. Um, in February 2007, I felt led of the Lord in the Bible college where I was training uh, for us all to do an end-to-end -end reading of the Bible together, uh, which when you do that out loud, it takes about 80 hours. It's a really long deal to do it. Um, and as part of preparing for it, I felt like it was necessary to do a little bit of consecration. So our student council got together. We did a bit of fasting, a bit of praying, a bit of checking in with God that this was the right thing to do. And he seemed to be confirming that. Um, and so we went ahead and we did an, this 80-hour reading of the Bible. And we got to, anyone here remember the pastor here called Nigel Tween? There was a pastor here called Nigel Tween, wasn't there, many years ago. He was the college principal at the time when I was in Bible college. Uh, he, I think he came from BCC to the Bible college at about the time that Chloe and I went to train. And we got him to open the Bible reading for us, this end-to-end -end Bible reading. So it's quite a prestigious thing. He came and started on Genesis 1-1 and, and started reading. And it was in 20-minute slots. And you could sign up for a slot. And it was a, it, was a, it was a big deal. You know, we got ourselves all ready and prepared and prayed up. And then... The Bible college students, uh, there must have been 150, 180 of us. We all took it in turns to read the Bible end to end all the way through. Now, there were some amazing things that happened out of that time. Just amazing. Uh, one, of our lecturers, uh, one of our lecturers, Jeff, um, he had had a, a stillborn child, he and, him and his wife, 25 years before uh, the week, to the week that we read the, the big read, you know, the Bible end to end. And um, his daughter signed up for one slot in the Big Read, and she ended up picking a, just randomly picking up a Bible passage which included the wording on the headstone of the kid that they'd had to lay to rest. And there was no way that she could have chosen that and known that. And yet the comfort that flooded through that to that family because of that encounter with God was just off the scale. I was just like stunned that Jeff told me that that had happened. 
I'm sure that's a story I've told you before, but those kinds of things were set up in order for God to move, and then they became a testimony. So consecration, it, it's, not a, it's, not, it's not like a dutiful thing. It's actually a beautiful thing because you set aside some time and space for God to move, and then surprise, surprise, he moves, and then that becomes your testimony. And the passage, just before we go into a time of worship, would you just stand with me, BCC? We're going we're gonna to stand and we're going to sing in just a second. Rivi finished her reading today with a little section of 12 men from the tribe of, tribes of Israel picking stones out of the river and making a pile of stones. And what they were doing there was they were saying, this is going to be something we can look back on and testify to. This will be our testimony. So as we enter into a little bit of a time of consecration in January, bear in mind God is going to move and then there are going to be testimonies that come out of that, just as there were for the people of Israel when they crossed the Jordan uh, in the flood season. Kevin is going to lead us in worship and uh, we're going to sing. Thank you, Kevin and Uri. And I'll come back and we'll wrap up with some prayer. Thank you.